Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. My name is Tobias, and I'm back again with Yusip Oine. What's up, my friend? That was a cheerful hello. Uh, it is 28.2 degrees in my home office now. Indoors, indoors, yes. Nice. It's, it's 26 outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> You're so doing I something just, wrong. <laughs> I am, I am. So I finally ordered my new workstation for my home office. So I do have one, but it's eight years old. So I figured it's, it's about time to upgrade that one. And the old one becomes a server. And I've been going back and forth on this for about two years now, and I got myself thinking about this in, in recent months, and I've, I've been chatting with a couple of friends. One is super into all things hardware and CPUs and GPUs and RAM speed and latencies and cooling, and the other one is, is more of a, yeah, well, I bought this one and this works for me. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've had this chat going on on the side for a couple of months now. And the challenge is that I am not a gamer. So whenever I do a search on Google, like CPU, Intel, Ice Lake, uh, motherboard, for example, the first 2,000 uh, hits are always about, if you're a gamer, this is how you get two more FPS in your game. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't care about that. I care if it runs my Hyper-V, if it runs my containers, if PowerPoint is fast enough for me. Yep. So I spent two months going back and forth on the different components. Now I'm finally set with those. I did order them. And, and now the dealer is, is telling me, me that they don't really have those in stock. So perhaps give it two more months before you're actually <laughs> getting them. <laughs> nice. So I'm, I'm good on that front. I got something off from my table and now I get to wait. How about for you? All right. That sounds cool. Uh, so I didn't order a new desktop machine. I've actually been on laptops since I think a decade now, more than that. And I have never had a workstation or whatever you call them um, back in the day, a tower, a machine standing on the desk or under the desk. I haven't had that for more than, I guess, 12 years. And so I run everything off of Ultrabooks. If I need additional GPU, there's the external GPU that I can just plug in using USB-C or whatever it is. That's it. But I don't do that. I mean, tops, I'm, like you, I'm using PowerPoint, Excel, uh, usually web-based also. So, you know, I don't need the, the fancy power. I have an i7, works for me. Uh, the important thing is the form factor so I can comfortably sit in a cafe looking really cool and hip uh, while it looks like I'm working on something really important in Excel. With, so, with, your, with your new haircut, right? With the haircut I got last week, yeah. yeah. It's been settling in now for a week. Uh, <laughs> so, so I'm happy with that. But other than that, what's up for me is um, I found a, now that summer hit us, and like we talked about last time, it's, it's getting hotter and warmer, and it's getting even warmer now. Um, so I'm doing a lunch swim, an afternoon noon swim. So during lunch, I go for a swim because we live by the sea. So it's very convenient and, and luxurious in this way. It takes about two minutes to just get down there. We jump in and have a couple of, of swim uh, for a little bit and then go back up. 
uh, continue working. And then in the afternoon, I go to kindergarten, pick up my daughter. We bring the entire family down and we have like a picnic uh, down by the sea. And this is, we're doing this every day now. So I'm not going as much into the, the woods as I've talked to a lot in the, in the past about, especially during winter, uh, going out in the woods. Now we just go down to the sea and we have a really good time. So um, what I, what I want to get at there is swimming or doing something during lunch, especially swimming is very refreshing. Perhaps if you have 28 degrees indoors, it would actually be a nice thing to go cool down a bit and then get back to work. Yeah, that is something I will definitely do tomorrow. So I live next to the sea as well, uh, but it's perhaps it's a two-minute walk in there. But it's often so cold with the, with the seawater that you don't really want to go swimming in there. You actually <laughs> want to go a bit upstream to find like a more secluded spot. I'm a real fan, so if there's anybody else in there, the, the idea of using that space is ruined and I need to find a, find a space with nobody else in there. I then need it's my fine. space, yeah, got yes. it. <laughs> so for today's episode, we are talking about what is DevTest Labs? Have you been using DevTest Labs, the service? I have to be honest here and say I have not. I've looked at it a couple of times, but I haven't. So um, let me turn the question around if, if you've looked at it. So what is DevTest Labs and, and why do I need to know about it? So when it was initially uh, released, this was some years ago, I started using this for our then classroom setups. And today there's two services. There's DevTest Labs for doing your dev and test environments in the cloud. And then there's something called the lab services, which allows you to do classroom labs. Like you have a bunch of students arriving and everybody needs their own thing in the cloud and you can maintain these virtual classrooms. So this has nothing to do with education, like Teams, education, tenants, and services. This is more about managing your virtual machines in the cloud so that they're dev and test environments. So today we're talking about dev test labs, not lab services. And the idea is that you will give your users a self-service to provision, spin up, and shut down their VMs, but in, in a orchestrated way that you keep things together instead of telling them to go to Azure, create a new resource group, click on the plus, go to Azure Marketplace, spin up whatever VM with whatever sizing and settings and opening ports to the internet. It's not about that. It's about saying this is the classes of VMs you can provision with these constraints. Click here to have one VM for you and that's it. Right, so instead of going to, to Azure, grant them permission to create resources inside of resource group and create a new VM and select whatever you want, uh, and then have Azure policies globally deployed to kind of protect your organization from that, you use Dev Test Labs to set up those policies and say, whatever you do inside of here is going to live by these specific rules, and it's about VMs, or is it about other resources as well? It's about VMs primarily. What you yep. can do, you can call to any or almost any Azure platform as a service service. Like let's say you need Azure storage to complement your VM for some reason. You can also provision those, but they are not part of the DevTest Labs, but there's an ARM template you can leverage to say, besides this VM, I'm also going to need this, this, and this thing, and it will spin those up for you as well. All right. And there's there's quite a bunch of different uh, functionalities in here. 
but the end result is, is surprisingly simple. So you spin up a DevTest Labs environment, and within that environment, you can have VMs, and those VMs can have something called artifacts. And artifacts is a fancy way of saying predefined software or custom scripts that you want as part of those VMs. Right, so, what, so tools and whatever you want. Like, a, like what you did back in the day, I think there was a tool called Ghost, or you ghosted a machine, you created a copy of an ISO or whatever, and then you could deploy this across your organization. So this is something a, similar to that. You create some kind of image. Yeah, or, it's exactly the same. So if you want Notepad++, if you want Visual Studio Code to be readily available within the VM, you will say, I want this, this, and this artifact as part of the VM. So when my user now logs into Azure Portal, goes to DevTest Labs and says, I want one VM with this sort of uh, capabilities, you can then show that we have these predefined VMs that will include this, uh, this set of software. So they don't have to first wait for the VM to be provisioned, then remotely access the VM and start manually installing all sorts of things. But within the artifacts, you already expose a set of software they can choose from. All right. Sounds cool. So I, I wonder if this is something that I can make use of when I create, because I, I build a lot of demos and I build a lot of blog posts and kind of screencasts and whatever it is and where you want to demonstrate something. And, you, you know, I want the base environment to always be the same. So instead of maintaining a, a VM, I could also maintain this if I want to let my colleagues do exactly the same thing with the same setup. Maybe this is something to use for that, or would it be kind of over-architecting for, for that scenario? You could definitely use DevTest Labs for that need as well. Obviously, now you have different options, so you could also spin up a regular VM and then use something like the Windows Package Manager, WinGets, that was uh, recently made available in the first preview, and then simply run WinGets to install whatever you like. But with artifacts, you get a nice interface for saying, I want this, this, and this. And if something is missing, you can have your own ARM templates with whatever software and scripts you need. Yep. So Ar artifacts is one. The other thing is formulas. So these are a sort of a cookbook uh, receipts for you to have the VM up and running, uh, setting the base image, the VM size, what artifacts to have in there. So it, it sort of abstracts the settings for the user and they can simply say I want this formula and the formula sets the VM and the software that gets installed right and and obviously you can set policies but these are not Azure policies these are lab policies and they're fairly simple to use you can say what are the allowed VM sizes how many VMs can a single user provision so we want to avoid somebody provisioning 27 VMs and not really using any of those. Mm -hmm. And also, how many VMs total are we allowing in a lab? So if you're expecting 10 students, perhaps the total VM number is 10. Or if we want one user to have a maximum of three VMs, but we have 10 students, then perhaps 30 VMs would be the maximum. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I, I see how the use cases for my own organization are, are growing here with how we do things. And we use also external contractors. We bring them in. Uh, some of them are long-term. Some of them are, are short-term. And we always have the, have the same kind of hiccup. Oh, this person is using a Mac OS 
and, and this person is using a Linux-based operating system, and this person is using Windows, and need to get all of these things working together and you know build the software. Now, providing them a VM, it's also easy in the cloud, but doing it like this, I think makes sense, where I would once define kind of the constraints and rules for what our, our devs are allowed to use in the cloud, we define it and then let them have at it. When you need one, you go in and you request it as a dev, and then there's already policies defined then, like you mentioned here, that, well, the D2 uh, version five, version 2 or 3 or whatever it is right now, that's what we use for a dev VM, and that's it. Yep. And obviously, you can also create something called claimable VMs. So as an admin, you can pre-provision a VM choosing the artifacts, choosing the formulas you need, and have those VMs readily made, but perhaps not up and running, but the instances are there. And now when you have a contractor helping you out for two weeks, you can uh, assign that this VM is one that I've pre-created for you. All they have to do is to claim it so that they get to own it and they get to control it. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And there's a couple of interesting things with DevTest Labs. So I, I had to look this up because my use cases for DevTest Labs has mostly been that I want to spin up a VM, make sure it shuts down in time, and also that it's available when I need it. But there's a couple of extension points here. And one is called uh, the RD Gateway extension. So RD Gateway, the remote desktop gateway, is something we've had for about 15 years now. And the idea with this has been that you have a bunch of VMs and your users need to access software or those VMs directly. And you have a gateway that exposes an HTTPS endpoint. So the users can use the remote desktop client to connect your gateway and it automatically redirects the user to an open or available VM. This is what we built on the on-premises for Quite, quite a number of years. So using the same approach, what Microsoft came up with, and the architecture is quite interesting, you would connect with an RD gateway in the cloud. And when you connect, the RD gateway actually pings a custom Azure function that also leverages Azure Key Vault to get an access token. And it brings that access token back to you, and then you use that access token access the DevTest Labs VM that's assigned for you. And the whole thing with this is that we don't need to expose a single VM from the DevTest Labs uh, to the open internet, and you have to guess what's the IP address today. Okay, gotcha. It's a, it's a way for you to connect without exposing connectivity to the VM. Yeah, and it was such an interesting way to create a custom Azure function to actually leverage the RDP access to the VM. I haven't tried this, but I went through the architecture document. I'll put that in show notes. And it looks a bit hacky, but at the same time, it looks quite clever. The other alternative is that you can also use Azure Bastion Host, which is relatively new. It was announced in 2019. And this simply allows you to have a jump box that, that then gives you uh, an RDP connection within the browser that allows you to connect with that dev test VM in the lab. Right. Uh, what else? The use cases then. Uh, so typically you would use dev test labs for developer workstations. Oftentimes you would run those for eight hours and when the day is done, you would shut them down automatically. 
also spinning up test environments, perhaps using Azure DevOps to automate that spinning up. That's also a possible possibility. And now with hackathons and hands-on labs, dev test labs would be a fairly good candidate to quickly provision, let's say, 50 VMs for two hours with predefined settings and then shutting them centrally down and locking access away from users. That would perhaps be something I would look into if I was organizing a hackathon. Yeah, I, I like this. Um, something I did many years in the past uh, for, for a considerable amount of time is in-classroom training. So I did a lot of training. And part of that was I had to prepare the images of the VMs and then provision them to the classrooms because the staff in these, these areas didn't know about how to do that. So I had to do that myself. Now, going back to that, maybe that was a good idea for me to do that because whenever something went wrong, I could also take care of it. What I like now is this is also a perfect fit, or at least it sounds like a perfect fit for this type of in-classroom training, uh, except that you can now choose whether to do that in-classroom or remote. So you could just provide people with access to these dev test labs. And when they sign up for the day, you have this auto shutdown, you shut them down, and in the morning they get their VM back and maybe rerun for four days in a class. And when it's done, everything goes away. And then when you have a next set of students in a class, whether that is remote or in classroom, you get a new set of 15 VMs or how many people there are, and that's it. You just hammer on, right? Yeah, and having run a company that focused quite heavily on classroom-based trainings back in the day, often the challenge we had is that do we have enough servers, enough PCs in a physical location, and would those be good enough to run whatever workloads we need? But then everything kind of moved to the cloud and then it became essential that we just have laptops that allow a fast internet access so that you can work with things in Azure and Microsoft 365. So now it would be easy to leverage DevTest Labs to do all of that in the cloud, even if you're remote, but centrally manage all of this. There's, a, there's an extensibility point here to Azure Functions. So you can create an Azure Function, which is HTTP triggered, and that can hook up with DevTest Labs to spin up new VMs, to shut them down, to see if the limitations have been hit. So if you need to do custom interfaces, like within the intranet, have a button, request your VM here, you could then call an Azure function to do all, all the spinning up of, of that VM and then send an email to the user. Okay, your VM is here, click here to connect. All right, fair enough. That sounds pretty cool. And I, I like this approach. Uh, that you can also trigger it from this kind of API or or uh, HTTP triggered function because I, I can see the use cases just now I, in front of me, just in front of my eyes. I have five use cases where this would make sense to to start using, especially if you're in the consultant business or in the training business. And the way I used to to run my old companies with delivering training, I mean, if this existed back then, it would make things so much easier for me. Uh, I could still do a lot of these things, but I had to do them manually and I had to kind of replicate the images and do all these things myself. Seems now with this, I can do it a little bit easier and say, this is what I need, tick, tick, tick. That's how it's going to look, tick, tick, tick. These are the policies, tick, tick, and done. And then I can call my function Monday morning, say, spin everything up. We have a new set of students, Zoop, spins up, everything done. And by the end of the week, everything is gone. Exactly. So I like to think DevTest Labs as being a solution that holds my hand in managing 
uh, predefined set of VMs. Right. And, and as mentioned before, if you need any additional platform as a service services, like Azure Storage or Cosmos DB, you need to intro your own ARM template. So once the VM is spinning up, you can then call the ARM template and say, please provision whatever is listed in here as well. Cool. So, I mean, all of this sounds awesome and almost too good to be true to, to kind of start out with. So I'm sure there's a price tag on that, right? Yes, it's my favorite price. It's free. I like that price as well. So DevTest Labs, the interface, the artifact management, the claimable VMs, the formulas, lab policies, they are free. But essentially, you pay for storage, the VMs. Uh, if you leverage the platform as a service capabilities, you also need one Azure Key Vault. So there's a small fixed fee in there. And then if you use VNets in the VMs, like custom VNets, you pay for any traffic in those as well. So in essence, leveraging a DevTest Lab doesn't cost you anything. But whatever services you use, you pay through those normally. All right, cool. Yep, and, and it's, it's quite simple to set up. And there's not too many moving parts. And I find the value is there, but you just need to decide on the use cases that fit your needs the best. All right. So I, I wasn't very aware about how DevTest Labs works or what the benefits are, but this kind of brought that to light a little bit. So now I can do the research I need to understand if and where this can fit into my picture. Yep. And I think that's all we had on DevTest Labs. So thank you again for tuning in and until next time. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.